Can you hand me my drink? It's seltzer, chill. Hey, let me go to the bathroom real quick. Y'all are listening to the Mormon Nutritionist. Play it. Let's play this thing. Hello and welcome to the first ever Mormon Nutritionist podcast, where food, faith, and science meet. So make sure that you like, subscribe, and review this podcast so that we can get that up there so other people are able to find it and download it that are looking for nutrition information tailored to the LDS perspective. I should say that this podcast is not intended to be individualized medical advice. As always, please consult with a medical professional in your area to make sure that your medical history is taken into account to make sure that you get the best care possible. Now, to give you a little bit of background on who I am and why you should even listen to me, my name is Zach Cordell. I am an assistant professor of nutrition. I am also a registered dietitian nutritionist. That means that I am licensed to practice nutrition. I have had 1,200 hours of clinical education. I have a bachelor's in nutrition, a master's in nutrition from the University of Massachusetts. I was clinically trained at Yale New Haven Hospital. And the reason I'm telling you this is not to brag about what I've done, but to explain to you that I don't just like food. I'm not just someone that has lost weight. I'm not trying to sell you pills or supplements or even asking you to join my downline. I'm here because nutrition is a science, and if we can apply that science to our personal beliefs as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, then it will give us a better perspective on how we can behave and what we need to do to improve who we are and our health. In this podcast, we will talk about the science behind some of the claims that are out there, But this is not going to be a scientific journal reading podcast. My focus will not be on fad diets, but we will talk about them if you want to. So reach out on Facebook or Instagram at Zach Cordell RDN to let me know. Throughout this, we will talk about faith and food. And from that, you will draw some parallels from gospel principles to behavior change. And to get down to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be healthy. A lot of times it gets confused that skinny and thin is healthy. We might break down that myth. We might share some things that can back up some of the beliefs that in order to be healthy, you need to be thin. But we will address the science behind those things. Many people come in to visit a dietitian and think that this dietitian is going to be the food police that that dietitian is going to take away all food that tastes good, I will tell you right now that dietitians eat food. That is how you stay alive, okay? If you run into me eating ice cream, as some of my students have done, don't have your jaw just drop to the floor and think, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're doing that. Realize that we're humans. We like food. And we want you to have a healthy relationship with that food so that it doesn't have power over you, either physically because of weight or mentally because of obsessions. And at the same time, a lot of people will come into a dietitian's office and just say, tell me what to eat. Give me a meal plan because I can follow it to a T. I have willpower and I can push through things. I tell you right now, 
dietitians are not the ones that will be giving you meal plans because everybody eats things that they enjoy. Some people like tapioca pudding. Some people think that it tastes like booger milk. Okay. So just know that everybody eats different things. And that is the beauty of this. So a dietitian is to work with you to find what you like to get you where you want to go. When I told people I was starting this podcast, they started to ask me why I thought faith and food would mix. Some people thought that this was just a gimmick or a shtick, but having faith and food mix is something that the medical field has been doing for a long time. They just haven't really been doing it consistently, and it really hasn't been taking place in the Mormon culture. So let's get into mixing our food and our faith. Reason number one that food and faith mix. First, culture. In case you haven't noticed yet, Mormon culture is very much a lifestyle and not just a belief system. I've heard people say, if you're looking for a church where you don't have to do anything, then you found the wrong church. Even the leadership of the church knows that we all need to step into callings, to step into serving, to find friends in what it is we are doing. And that is a big impact on how we are going to behave. Because the church is a culture and a lifestyle, some of our behaviors are going to be mixing. Whenever somebody gets sick at church, the Relief Society will organize things and you'll take them food. When somebody just had a baby and we're celebrating, you would take them food. When someone is mourning or you've lost a loved one, you take them food. When someone is in need of companionship, you take them food. When someone asks if you want to get together, because you can't just be friends you still have food. Then you have the linger longers, you have the dinner parties, you have the potlucks, and all of those things incorporate food. And it's not just food, but it's like green jello is the very stereotypical thing. Then you have green bean casserole, you have breakfast casserole, you have lasagna. Then you have that old couple that makes these odd vegan pasta dishes that everybody's like, where did that come from? So the reality is, is that Mormon culture and food isn't just about green jello. A lot of times it's about that home cooking, right? The South has their culture with food. The Northeast has their culture with food. The Midwest has their culture with food. And even Mormons have their culture with food. One thing that can kind of get us out of that in Mormon culture is we serve missions. Going on a mission, you get exposed to different types of food. And one of the favorite questions that people like to ask is when you come home from your mission, they say, what was the weirdest thing that you ate? Another reason that Mormon culture is is kind of important and how we can approach our health is that we believe that we should be able to govern ourselves and not be forced to make behaviors. And if you kind of take that a step further, if somebody's had a heart attack and the doctor is telling them that they have to start different behaviors, they have to avoid the salt or they need to cut back on the saturated fat that they're eating, that they can't have as much bacon or sausage or steak, then they're being acted upon rather than acting for themselves. I spoke with a fellow dietitian that works with eating disorder patients. And this dietitian is not of our faith, but I asked about her experience with LDS people. And she said that because eating disorders can be influenced by perfectionist or perfection-seeking parents and the perfectionist culture, the LDS community can kind of tend to lead some young men and young women into developing those eating disorders. But she said that a lot of the times the LDS patients wouldn't finish their treatments because they had other responsibilities that they needed to do. So culture is going to have a big influence on what we talk about. So that's something to keep in mind. Along with this, along with the culture, the modesty and body image, we'll talk about body image for sure. Uh, But that's a whole different episode. But that culture, modest is hottest, 
fully can stand behind that. But at the same time, we need to understand that our body is not the enemy. We also understand that whenever Joseph Smith saw Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ in the grove, they had physical bodies. So that's kind of juxtaposed against other faith-based organizations where they believe that the enemy of holiness is physical bodies. Really, we just need to learn how to control it, and that's, that's an, a big point. Number two, reason number two that food and faith should mix is the whole vulnerability side of things. Whenever we go to church and you partake of the sacrament and you say your morning prayers and your evening prayers and you read the scriptures and you're seeking out the Holy Spirit, you have to be vulnerable and have that broken heart and contrite spirit. I can't think of any times where I've worked with somebody and they haven't allowed themselves to be vulnerable and they made a lasting change because they just made an external change that might have contributed to weight loss or eating healthier But because they didn't change their heart, because they didn't change their beliefs, things aren't going to go as well for as long. So what's cool about the gospel and faith in general in terms of mixing food and faith is that in doing so, you are allowing yourself to be vulnerable as you would in terms of making any change. Using the vulnerability that comes with you in the gospel in terms of coming to the Savior to make those changes is going to be beneficial in terms of your health as well because you have to allow yourself to think, what is it that is really causing these behaviors? And maybe go a little bit deeper than just food tastes good (laughs) because that's where a lot of people want to stop is they think, oh, well, the reason I eat this is because it just tastes so good. But maybe the reason that we eat that is because it's cheaper or it's more convenient or because as a kid you always wanted these things and your parents would never buy them. But now that you're the one buying it, You just think, if I'm buying it, might as well get what I want. Or maybe it's because food is the only friend that we might have. I once worked with a 10-year-old little girl who told me on her way out of the counseling session that the reason that she eats the way that she does is because food is her only friend. And while that's kind of sad to hear, I find it hard to imagine an adult being that honest and vulnerable with us. And so in that instance, yes, we do need to become like a little child. So on my mission, you could go through the uh, Preach My Gospel manual, and one of my favorite quotes was that was in there was by Boyd K. Packer, who was in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and he said, The study of the doctrines of the gospel will improve behavior quicker than a study of behavior will improve behavior. But think about that. It says, True doctrine understood changes attitudes and behaviors. So if we can understand who we are and where we come from and what we're doing on a spiritual level, then that's going to help us to make those changes on the physical level too. So we will have that lasting impact. All right, so let's take a quick break, and then we will pick this back up in the second half. In this week's The Mormon Nutritionist Breakdown, what I want to talk about is how the naming of food can influence how we feel about that food. Who would eat a bologna log? Anyone? Bologna logs sound delicious, right? So food advertising plays a big role in how we perceive food and what we're going to eat. So in this episode, where we're going to be renaming food, we ask, what is in a name? A lot of times 
during the summertime, we'll go to a cookout and it sounds great and everybody's having fun. You're jumping in the pool, your kids are playing, you're chasing around, wondering why that diaper's so saggy, right? But um, you have certain things that you're going to eat at a cookout, hot dogs being one of them. But have you ever thought about hot dogs really just being bologna logs? Because that's really what they are, right? Just kind of like how hamburgers are just nighttime sausage or how sausage is really just spicy morning hamburger, right? So think about that whenever you're eating foods and shoot me a message on, on Facebook at Zach Cordell RDN. Let me know some of the, the funny things that you could think of where you would rename a food and it might not be as appetizing as it had been in the past. But also still it helps you to understand what that food really is. This has been What's in a Name. On to point number three of why food and faith should mix. In faith, you understand the line upon line principle. You understand the precept upon precept. You understand that we are all developing and growing and that it's part of a process. A lot of times people will jump into behavior change. They'll jump, jump into diet changes. They'll watch a documentary and decide, you know what? I should never eat meat again because that's just slaughter. But we understand that it's a process. And that process is essential because often people start to go through healthy behavior changes. They'll base success on whether or not they have lost weight. And in doing that, you may lose weight, but you may not. But the reality is, is that you are doing healthy things, and so you are more healthy than you were before. For instance, if you have lost 20 pounds, but your goal was to lose 50, you can become frustrated by thinking, well, I still didn't lose that 50. I need to lose 30 more pounds. But in reality, you've lost 20, and you're in a better place now than you had been. Again, drawing that back to the faith side of things, you understand that it is part of the process. My dad would always tell me it's not about the speed, but it's about the direction that we're heading in. And you can think about it this way. David A. Bednar gave a talk a couple of years ago in a general conference, and he mentioned that sometimes we need to have the faith to not be healed. I look at that in terms of maybe we need to have the faith to not lose weight. Would you still have those healthy behaviors even if you didn't lose the weight. And that kind of is what we'll bring into uh, our next episode is like, what is the definition of health? The faith to make changes, the understanding of change and how those things happen is point number three. But now point number four is talking about the eternal principles and how understanding these eternal principles will be able to influence how you are going to behave in mortality. Because we believe that the body is essential for the long haul. It's not wrong. It's not evil. It's not horrible. There are certain drives and appetites that we would want to control. But at the same time, understanding those and controlling those is important to our development and our growth. Also, understanding the long term can help you avoid a lot of the new diet fads that are coming out. There's always something, right? So we've got the keto diet. We've got the Atkins diet. We've got the South Beach diet. We've got the Weight Watchers. We've got the cabbage soup diet. We've got detoxes and cleanses and all these other buzzwords that are out there that people will chase in order to get weight loss. It seems like weight loss is that holy grail that everybody's chasing when in reality we should be looking at what is health because skinny doesn't necessarily mean health. 
in the scriptures it talks about not being blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That kind of bleeds into how people approach health. Like we've already talked about, understanding those eternal principles can be essential. And this can be understood in the young women's motto, right? So I can tell someone that their body is important and that all bodies are beautiful. But whenever you go back into the world, the world is going to kind of try to beat you back down into thinking that, yeah, all bodies are beautiful, but theirs is more beautiful. But if you reach back into the scriptures and, and you start to understand that you are created in the image of God, like in the story of Moses, whenever Moses is there in the presence of God and then Satan shows up and Satan's like, you need to worship me. And Moses says, uh, are you kidding? Do you know who I am? You know who I'm related to? There's no reason that I should be following you, right? So all of those things start to mix. And then understanding responsibilities. Um, this kind of comes back into the culture, but it also goes into eternal principles. If you think about it in terms of the, the family, a proclamation to the world, you can start to see that the father is the spiritual leader of the home and that there's an importance to the father raising daughters and that the mother's raising daughters and the mother's raising sons and the father raising sons and how all of them play an important role. In not many settings do you get talked to about every six months about how you can be a good father or you could be a good mother and the things that we need to do to help one another. So we have this perspective on continual growth that is really important. So those are my four reasons that faith and food should mix. And you'll find a lot more as we listen into more episodes that are coming out. If you'd like to mention topics that you want to be covered, again, check me out on Facebook or Instagram at Zach Cordell RDN and send me a message. Here's my hesitancy with mixing food and faith. Green tea can be delicious. Wine can be heart healthy. Coffee could be beneficial. But at some point, we have to decide and understand that it is a decision on our part that we are choosing to follow what we feel to be the right thing. And even if science says otherwise, you still are making a personal decision to do that. Now, there are pressures for perfection, and sometimes nutrition is just about consistency more than about finding the perfect food. There is no perfect food. There is no perfect meal. There's no, I mean, despite what Instagram and Pinterest will kind of uh, push out there, the pictures that you see, that one meal will not prevent them from developing heart disease. But it's the consistency that we have. So nutrition behavior, gospel parallels, and culture can be a large part of what we're going to be discussing. But it's important to remember that this is not doctrine. This is the application of some of the principles that we believe in our own lives and apply to our own behaviors. And in understanding those behaviors, it can help us to make the changes that are going to have the lasting impact on what we do. All I got to say is, I hope this podcast has strengthened and nourished you. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. This is The Mormon Nutritionist. Wish on